What does Shanghai, 1930, Beetle Nut, Cold Drinks, and China Live all have in common? Restaurateur, executive chef, George Chen. George and his wonderful wife, Cindy, are the owners of all of the amazing restaurants I just mentioned. He's a total influencer. This power couple opened an American-style steakhouse in Shanghai with fine cuts of beef and fine wines. And they came back. In turn, they brought up the level of Chinese dining here in San Francisco from white to-go boxes with the little pagodas to the sophistication of a multi-coursed culinary experience in the Bay Area. George Chen is originally from China and first moved to LA in 1967, where his extensive restaurant history began. George and Cindy's food is absolutely delicious, and their vision of what fine dining is is comfortable, but it's also elegant, but it's also so comfortable, and you can just tell with the way that they are as humans. They are wonderful human beings. And it's because George has traveled all over the world and he grew up the son of a diplomat. So he's taken all of this international influence and it's very prevalent in his restaurants as a generous, kind, and it's super funny. He's such a pleasing human to be around. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation that we had in April of 2021 with George Chen. Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea. And I'm Jay Yi. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. Our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay. As you all know, we like to close out each series with an interview with a chef, a restaurateur, or someone who has something to do with food, because San Francisco and the Bay Area is so food-focused. Yes, and we all love food. We love food. (laughs) We love food. And on this week's episode, we talk about a really cool restaurant that's on the border of Chinatown, China Life. China Life is kind of like an eatily, but Chinese, with the experience of a marketplace and food stalls that you can find around Southeast Asia. And it's all been upscaled and updated, and you can all have this multi-central experience in a very casual atmosphere downstairs in the main China life. And it's just much more than a restaurant. It's a whole experience. Have you been there, Michaela? Not until we did this interview. And it was pretty much at the top of my list. My husband's been there multiple times. All of my friends have been there. I have a lot of romantic aspirations of sitting down there yeah. one day. George, please, Cindy, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> The coolest thing about this restaurant, it was once one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Chinese 
dim sum place. This was called Golden Mountain. It was an iconic place. Lots of weddings taking place there. Lots of Sunday mornings having brunch with my family all at this one iconic location. So happy to see it transform into another Chinese-oriented and updated restaurant. Susan, have you been there? So I've been to China Live, but before that, when I first moved back from New York back to San Francisco, I went to Beetle Nut. And I went to Beetle Nut on Union Street, and I went to Beetle Nut a lot. And, you know, lo and behold, George Chen also owned Beetle Nut and many other restaurants. So it's pretty exciting. So I was just telling George about the podcast and how we started. And so, you know, just to wrap that up, you know, I said to Susan, let's let's create a podcast because she has a custom tour company. And with all the people that are moving out from tech, let's actually tell the story of the city and have people who are coming bring something to the table and appreciate the city. Absolutely. And so we wanted to interview people like yourself who's been here for a while to really bring some color, bring some illumination on uh, the city and how how we are here today. So, George, tell us about your upbringing. You mentioned that you came here at a young age, is that right? Yeah, I came here when I was age 10. Only word I spoke, English where I spoke, was O-K. <laughs> the letter O, the letter K. Yeah. No, okay. I remember it was like third or fourth grade and watched Spot run. <laughs> yeah. You know, this picture. You learn pretty fast when you're kids. And that was, you know, 67. And uh, Summer of Love, and I came here with a crew cut in shorts and look like a complete outcast, right? Like, what's wrong with that guy? You know, it's a Razi <laughs> kids or what? I grew up in L.A. Back then, my father was a career diplomat. Mm. He was consul in L.A. Later, he retires to Singapore and other countries. My grandfather on my mom's side was a big shot in China. He was a provincial governor and a lieutenant general. Went through World War II, the, the communists take over and all that. So I landed in Taiwan where I was born and came here uh, fresh off the boat, as they say, right? Yes. <laughs> in 1967. Yeah, and there was a lot of prejudice back then, and especially when you looked like good cut and shorts and everybody's wearing bell bottoms and, yeah. and long hair. But, you know, we, we acclimate fast. I mean, that's the great thing about America. I always say it's the diversity that is the strength. And not to get too much into the politics, but the last administration was almost opposite of that. It's just not the way the world works. I mean, being Chinese, uh, American, ethnic Chinese, China is competitor, but there's no reason we need to get into tit for tat and attacking each other. I think there are ways to work. Um, <laughs> we're not trying to conquer Mars here, you know. I mean, there's no more, no more places for you to dominate, and it's not like the old British Empire and whatever. And so, just learn to get along. We do much better if we understand people. And then, of course, this API hate thing that's been going on for a lot, much longer than I expected probably has roots in what happened. I just can't believe it because when I came here, I, I saw prejudice. I went to school here, very diverse, and I always felt. You know, representing myself, I didn't try to, like, become a, what's called banana, you know. <laughs> well, it was yellow on the outside. Well, anyways. Uh, <laughs> but for me to see it now, especially here in the Bay Area, it's disheartening. And they're picking out old people, which is the worst. 
we have to find a solution to that as well. I think the messaging has to be strong. The politicians have to come out and just say, hey, you know, educate. Like, China is not our enemy. They didn't bring the virus here. It's a virus. The, the virus mutates. And now we have, like, D-strain, right? And right. so now it's from India. And I said, well, when we had the swine flu that came out of the U.S. and Mexico, you know, I mean, did they call it the U.S. virus? was that meeting and I understand the other side of America that felt like they got left behind and want their country back but this country is belongs to everybody came here to made it that's the strength of America right the founding fathers and women born here you know they all migrated here from somewhere and when I was young it was like America was oh my god and we call make what right beautiful country that's the name, beautiful country. May is beautiful. So it's like, oh, everyone to go to Maygua. And so that was what we all aspired to, you know, like, wow, that's the country where everybody can succeed and land make of it. opportunity. Yeah, land of opportunity, Gold Mountain. Like, we're sitting in the old Gold Mountain restaurant right here. And most people have been here. It's yes. one of the biggest dining halls. I'm sure you've been here. Red ginger egg parties, weddings, and blah, blah, blah. And when I took over this building, I still call the room next door the Go Mountain Lounge. Right. Yeah. It's a historical place. Yeah, and it was one of the oldest theaters. I think it was called the Palace Theater. Down the right across the street, moved on this side. Then it was in the basement, and they played Chinese movies back in the day. So, how did I get here? A lot of ups and downs. I didn't have a silver spoon. Sure. Growing up, I worked in twelve restaurants, mostly in L.A. Then I came up here and worked for the late Cecilia Chang at the Mandarin. Wow. You know, a couple of us or so. She passed away last year, you know, and put myself through school, made money, because when you like that fun, you, you can't do that without money. That's you, true. You know, you got to go earn it. So right. I worked for five, six years, and then even though I was neurobio and a psych double major, I was interested in law, so I took some legal studies yeah. at Bull Hall, Socratic style and all that, and that was interested in medicine. So, you know, in college, you're trying to figure out where you want to be. So I was pre-med as well. I was just with the neurobio degree. You know, and then I realized, well, being a doctor, that you know, I'll be old by the time I get out and make money. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you got residency and, and right. you know, all this other stuff. So Wall Street was calling. I always like Wall Street, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal. So I ended up on Wall Street, worked uh, a number of firms, started at Merrill, did very well. It was one of those 80s big screen dick days. And <laughs> I was then Lehman, then Bear Stearns, they're all gone, Drexel, all gone. And found during those travels, and having that restaurant background, working in the mall, and then, you know, my family being diplomatic, so we got to travel a bit and see things. And I always have a good palate, a really good nose. And... So I was going to Asia, representing some of these Wall Street firms, and uh, was seeing the food in the streets of Bangkok to Taiwan to Shanghai, and said, so they don't have that food here. Right. You know? And so that's where Beetle Nut, the genesis of Beetle was, well, why don't I do that? And that was, I had that idea early 90s. It took me four plus years to open Beetle Nut, and it was a huge success. You mentioned earlier that one of your favorite restaurants is truly one of my favorite restaurants. When I first moved back from New York City, I went to Beetle Nut a lot. Yeah, that was, it was the, so fun. That was the place to be in the marina, and in yeah, the open some air. people some people credit me for bringing back industry after the long period of earthquake, right? And right. it was a rocking place for a very long time. And then you started a long time. No company shine 1930. Dom Mayer used to go there quite often. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mr. Willie Brownlee, and we had a jazz club there. I love jazz. Mm. You know, the San Francisco is a place where you can be really creative culinarily and otherwise. You know, it's a great place where people come together, collaborate, create buildings. So, and then I got this crazy idea that China was booming. I said, you know, I went there a few times. My brother lived there, and so I said, okay. So I sold Beetlenut, and then. I had 11 restaurants here because it's just the way it is in this business. 11? That's a lot of restaurants. Yeah, and my wife and I don't have kids, so I can go like, you have restaurants because you're so busy. But 11 restaurants all through the Bay Area, and then you have some failures, and so maybe time to try it somewhere else. So I went to Shanghai and built multiple restaurants, a wine business, the internet company. Uh, the best steakhouse in Shanghai, and I tried to get Willie to go there. Ed's been there, Ed Lee, the late mayor. So I was selling American wines and American beef and showing China what a steak should taste like. And back wow. then, they didn't know. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I've been to Shanghai with my dad, and it, I loved it. I thought Shanghai uh, was crazy, great. It's a crazy city, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't bring Santa to be so kind of like reversing you know, on things. And so when I came back f- from... China and China was getting really crazy and my wife didn't really want to move there long term so I said okay well maybe you know back to my home city and uh, this location became available and I always had this crazy idea of this market-driven Chinese restaurant where it's real farm to table because you know when we were growing up my mom and every other mom in China they went to the market that morning saw what was good yeah and cooked it that night they didn't really put stuff in the refrigerator people here in this country think of chinese food as you know comes in a white box and a mystery brown sauce <laughs> and unhealthy it's got to be cheap and uh, I mean, people love chinese food but the, the perception is really wrong right so that was my attempt to try to elevate chinese food in a modern way with local ingredients and all that and then the eight tables was my fine dining experience you know, why shouldn't Chinese food be at that level with French, Italian, whatever else? You know, even other Asian cuisines have surpassed Chinese in terms of prestige. So we're here sitting in Cold Drinks Bar. This is a huge investment. People thought I was crazy. I actually ran out of money halfway through the project, and it was brutal. You know, it's like, oh, my God. You know, and so finally I got a large anchor investor out of Singapore to finish up the deal, and... You know, it was touch and go in the beginning because mm. it was like, it wasn't like it came out and everybody just says, oh my God, of course everybody had heard about it and Eater had done a big story on us. It was until about six months later that we finally got traction and now it's probably the highest grossing restaurant in the Bay Area. Wow. wow. Yeah, wow. we're 63rd in terms of sales for all independent restaurants in the country. Congratulations. Yeah, so it's a lot of work. We had over 200 employees. It's really hard to make money in San Francisco. Of course, we had some operational issues, too. And, you know, because we ran out of money, uh, our rent factory changed because we got some extra tenant improvement dollars. But, you know, we had to give up some rent, base rent. So our rent factory is really high and operating costs are high. So when COVID hit, even though we had great sales, it was really hard to make money here. And when COVID hit, it was like, oh, my God, you know, we we didn't have much money in the bank. Mm. Maybe would last us two weeks. Wow. So what did you do? I had to lay off almost everybody except a core group of people that had some stake, some interest in the company, and we just rolled over our sleeves and said, okay, what's next? I remember March 16th, 
2020 a uh, day. I, I had sort of sense, you know, there was some xenophobia going on before that because, you know, it's you know, it a Chinese virus and all that. And, you know, those people eat bats. You know, people eat bats. I had been on radio with even Voice of America, which is a conservative thing, and trying to defend, like, this is not true. You know, you can't get sick from eating Chinese food. Please, you know, that's silly. So we dealt with that, and then people were asked to shelter, and then, and then the shutdown, mm. right? And the shutdown was like, I've been in small business all my life, and I've been through 9-11, the Great Recession, the dot-com bus, the bird flu, SARS. I never had a, a thing that just said, okay, you, you can't do business, right? And I can't afford to pay these people because if I have no revenues coming in, I'm gone. I'm out of business. Right. And I just invested twenty million dollars into this. Yeah, this is the huge investment here. Everything is custom wow. in this, these rooms. Everything is, it's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and we had just started to kind of get traction. We were, we were about three, three and a half years in. It was pretty scary. I didn't know what tomorrow was going to be. So I even said to some media people, "It's like, you know, Armageddon. You know, and the bomb went off, and nobody knows." What's hit them yet? Right. So, like most restaurants, we had to furlough a bunch of people, terminate others, and what do you do? I mean, you can't individuals at one at a time and say, "Hey, I'm really sorry." Everybody was in shock, and we thought it would just last a few months, and maybe by summer we'd be back. Right. Right. And and, and here we are. <laughs> Yesterday, we finally technically could be fully open. That's 15 months. Yeah, it's a year right? and a half. Plus, yeah, for us, yeah. you know, with xenophobia and all this, a year and a half, right? You know, I have to say, thank God the government came in with the PPP loans to help small business people. And without that, nobody's going to give you more money. In a business like this, restaurants are the toughest. And we're kind of like at the bottom of the totem pole, if you will, when it comes to industries that get protected. Because, you know, if you're McDonald's, of course, you know, you're McDonald's. you got institutional money and you can go to the banks. When you're an independent restaurant, banks don't lend to you. Mm. To them, unless you own the building, there's no asset for them in the back, and you know, you're not going to sign a personal guarantee. They don't want to see, make sure you have the money in the bank before they lend it to you. You know, banks work. We have a great bank relationship in First Republic, and they're very, almost like personal bankers, so we're lucky there, but they weren't able to help us either. And so it was like, okay, day at a time, this is what happens, and then just. Okay, we can do takeout. Okay, how do we do takeout? You know, who who can work? I mean, everybody was scared. Afraid to come in? Yeah. Afraid to work. Yeah, it was the beginning of the pandemic, so no one had any idea. No one had any idea what it was, except it was serious, right? And people were dying. And then, of course, we were allowed to do some outdoor dining. Hmm. Well, I'm on Broadway. I mean, it's like it's a busy nobody, street. <laughs> you know, outdoor dining, Broadway. Okay, what? Well, you know what? Yeah. Maybe people put up with it if they really want to. So put some tables out there and help some business, right? And then they said you could build parklets. Uh, so we did that. That helped us a lot. I mean, it cost a lot of money to do it. But by then, we had got some PPP funds. So we, we were able to spend, you know, thirty-five, forty $40,000 to build that parklet. And that helped us with revenues. And then... I think summertime we were allowed to do that. And then they said you could do some indoor dining. I mean, it felt like you got jerked around a lot Sure. in October. So we had to gear back up because that's a whole different deal, right? Because you're doing to go, you're doing outdoor yeah. now, you got a big restaurant and 
you have a huge place here, like three, four floors. How do you get that back up? And finally, we're, we said, okay, we're going to be able to open doors. Let's get ready. And then in December, you know, we had that second spike. And they just said, you can't even do outdoor dining except to go. I'm like, back to square one. After just going through this, listening to the news, what's going to happen? And, you know, we did everything that was allowed. I mean, I couldn't quit. I mean, there's just no way we, we could give up. So we try to watch our expenses very carefully because you run out of cash, you're out of business. You can't pay your vendors, you can't pay employees, you're done. And so how we spend things out now, we're supposed to fully open. I had 200 plus employees. I have like 75 right now. Better back. Yeah, and uh, of course, the different problem is a lot of people still don't want to come back to work for various reasons, personal, because they're still scared or they're just tired of the industry. You know, you got jerked around that much. I know for a fact that a number of my cooks that were really good and front of the house people just said, you know what, I'm going to do something else in my life because you're not respected almost by society. We don't care, you know, lay off people in December before Christmas. Like, how am I going to pay rent for good buying gifts for my kids or whatever. So it's been a very tough year. And then this year, we did the vaccine news. It was, it was like a savior, right? I mean, we, we have a vaccine that might work. And so we all, like, got vaccinated. My wife and I were the lucky one. We, Cindy was on the net trying to figure out what was up and saw that Oakland Coliseum right. had the federal right. super site. Right. And so she says, okay, let me try this. So she just put our information and boom, we got appointments. It was yeah. like we were the first ones wow. of the whole building. That's amazing. And so we immediately did that. And everybody, you know, we, we had strict protocols here at Channel Live. You know, we had contact tracing for all of our employees, mandatory testing every two weeks. Well, good. So That's they, good. they would go to the Embarcadero. Right. Uh, the, yeah, the, get the, tested that, there. Yeah, tested there like... You have to show us because everybody wants to feel safe, right? Because yeah, your employees are really important. Right. And if one person isn't tested, then, you know, we had one employee that said he had COVID. I said, show me your paperwork. It turns out the employee just wanted some sick days. He never showed up. Oh. Uh, never showed us the COVID thing. But, oh. yeah, you know, people take advantage of this. we're getting... Unfortunately, sometimes it brings out the best in people because you have to struggle to survive. Sometimes you bring out the worst in some people because uh, a lot of employees that were let go mm -hmm. decided to go to labor. I mean, we're 100% trying to have audit financials. We do meal breaks. We do everything right. Full insurance on. And they sued us for whatever reason because they can't. Mm. Right? There are people who are like that. Yeah. It's, it, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, and I thought that the crisis brought out that in some people too. Yeah. So you, you, it was a trying year. Uh, I think I feel pretty good about where we're at right yeah. now. We're probably one of the busier restaurants, and yesterday I was here and talking to guests, and everybody's so happy, you know, to be out having a cocktail, a glass of wine, and loving yeah. our food. And I want to say thank the mods because guys, it's good to be here again, you know, because some are regular, some are new, and so that's. You know, when you're in the hospitality business, that's what you do. You take care of people. Yeah. And it's just your house. You produce the food. I mean, it's the only business that you take a really raw, live product, prepare it into a finished product, and serve it in your own place. It's a full cycle, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm making trinkets here, you know? No, no, uh, no. Right? And so that whole experience is very rewarding if, when you see, my wife always says, 
what's the best thing about this business is when you have a happy guest? Because it's almost like immediate gratification. Like you talk to somebody, and say, oh my God, this is one of the best meals I've ever had, and the service is great. And like you just made people happy. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why you know we're in this business. And of course, you know we love food, and I have some skills, but it's a tough ass business yeah i've I've heard that because as a diner i love to eat and i love to go out to eat (laughs) you know what you see front of house it's so elegant and lovely and the servers are lovely and the food your food is phenomenal thank you i mean it's crossed your eyes good it's it's delicious but i didn't realize that you have so many different levels so can you describe a little bit where we are so that our listeners can get an idea of what yeah, it's Yeah, like. this is the co-drinks bar. It's a hidden bar on top of China Live facing Broadway. It was inspired by uh, a bar just called Cold Drinks in Shanghai in the mm. 20s, where, you know, famous writers and movie stars and even gangsters hung out. Right. I was just known as Cold Drinks, so I read it in the storybook, and so I went looking for it, and of course, Shanghai has changed so much, and this guy was in a former French concession. And I talked to a historian there, Tess Johnson, she told me about it. I said, oh, you actually went there? Because she's like in her 90s at least now. Wow. But anyway, she was telling me about it. So she had this, told me this picture of this old Shanghai bar and big block of ice, because they brought the ice in from the ice house and they didn't have ice back then, you know. Right. So they would like make drinks with chiseling the ice. You know, I always wanted to open the bar with that kind of image. And I love... A little of that Blade Runner feel, right? Uh, great movie, the first one, especially. And so you see those tiles, they're custom house. They're inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright's uh, Ennis House in L.A. Mm. It's a Usonian a tile, yeah. And sort of this dystopian, you know, Harrison Ford in that scenario with a neon blinking. And he's, <laughs> like, trying to kill these, you know, whatever, you know, that romance of it. So that... Plus Shanghai and a little bit of uh, the James Bond thing. You know, I had guys, waiters in white yes. tuxedo jackets made by Al's attire just down around the Yeah, right I love Al's attire. Yeah. We will be speaking to Al one day. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. He's great. He's in here all the time. He was sitting in this chair. No, he's fantastic. He's, yeah, he is making me a jacket that has bats on it. And he wow. says, call Santana. I was was ready. It was on my rock. I was going to call you. And then call Santana, who was in front of his, came in and said, I want that jacket. But it's for George Shannon. Make George Shannon another jacket. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's San Francisco for you. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I said, hey. As long, and he showed me a picture of here, Carlos wearing my jacket. I'm like, okay. Tell Carlos he owes me a drink. <laughs> Yeah, so this bar was a uh, top 10 bar in the cocktail of the year. Oh, it's uh, we, we did a drink called Sometimes Old Fashioned with uh, Fat Wash. So we sell a lot of Peking ducks, and there's a lot of duck fat. People are like mm-hmm. Fat Wash, Peking duck, Fat Wash, Old Fashioned. Well, we smoothed it out, and it's, it doesn't taste fatty at all, but it just it's a beautiful drink, and it remains one of the top drinks. It was written up in a lot of places. So we're wonderful mixologists here, and it's a bar. Then my wife and I, you know, we always say, hey, is there a bar where you just go get a drink? And, you know, you usually don't build bars for yourself, but, like, <laughs> I, I hate my own bar. If, you know, I, I don't like to be here drinking because I'm the owner and, you know, people working. But sometimes I just sit in the corner with my wife and watch people, you know, say hello here or there. But it's a great bar. And then, awesome. Yeah. Downstairs, you know, it's a marketplace restaurant with retail. Right. My wife and I are the curators of the products we have, and that's become a big focus for us during COVID because 
85% of our business came from outside 9.7 miles and during COVID, I mean, the deliveries are only about a five to seven mile radius. So that means 85% of your business is not coming to your place during this COVID period. People aren't traveling, there's no business, right? We're too big to be a neighborhood restaurant, of course, a lot of locals support us. I mean, we did like $10,000 a day to go well, just in that COVID period. Yeah, we have fresh Chinese food that people enjoy and they supported us and kept us in business. But people aren't coming to you, you gotta get to them. So we did ghost kitchens with the local company, ex-Uber guys, and they're very smart. And they have chefs that worked with us that work at Chez Panisse and French Laundry. And so we were able to put China Life food into San Jose, into Berkeley, wow. Palo Alto. Had to, because they can't come to you, you gotta go yeah, to them. Yeah, you have to go to yeah, them. And then so we did a lot of retail, like our sauces or condiments or chili bean sauce is a huge seller. Mm. People are like, I say, yeah, you know what, you love it so much, I put opium in there. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're addicted. But we had to do everything. I mean, I took the corporate office, turned it into a commissary, because you, you have to reinvent yourself. And I'm not sure, even though yesterday was supposed to be a day California allowed to be fully open, we're, we're not like putting this restaurant back to the same arrangement because people are still going to be a little skittish and people still want to feel safe. So what we've done is we still have a lot of social distancing. Most of the tables are still six feet apart. We did pick some tables outdoors and I hear the city is going to maybe allow that permanently. So we get some good weather days. Chinatown tend to have for some reason, really good weather. So that makes up for some of the lost spaces. Some people still prefer to just sit outside. You know, even though most of us, you know, this is the most vaccinated city, you know, right. I think 80% now in San Francisco. There's still a lot of people. We ask guests all the time, like, in San Francisco, no, I, I still want to sit outside. And, you know, they still want to see our servers wearing masks, even though supposedly... If everybody's vaccinated, you don't have to, but the laws keep changing. It's like in certain workplaces, you have to wear masks. And I want my guys to wear masks because even though they're all vaccinated and they're, you know, tested, the guests will feel more comfortable if your server is wearing a mask. At least for now, for the next few months. We'll see how people are doing by, you know, the fall might change. Yeah. People have to get used to that idea of not having a mask on. I have my mask with me. I, I, I wear it on the street. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, this is not... Florida or Texas, you know, where, you know, the politics are a little bit different. People, I believe in personal liberties. I'm not here to, like, don't tread on me, you know. I mean, if you don't, I get it, but we're in a pandemic, and it's not really about your personal liberty, but what about how you're affecting other people, right? So, this consideration for the other person is not about your personal liberties all the time. I believe in personal liberty. But we're lucky that things look like it's coming back. Yeah. And fortunate to be here, you know, we just have to work out our long-term lease situation here because, That's great. you know, our, our rent factor is untenable. But it's, you know, we're here. We hope, I think by summer, I think some people will feel more comfortable and want to come back to work. It is a much smaller pie. The CEO of Open Table told me that she had a meeting with me here and told me that 25% of all restaurants in the area have permanently closed. Mm. Yeah. A lot of places. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. There's thousands of restaurants. And yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, some new places are springing up. Like last time I went to Empress by Boom on the old Empress of China. Mm-hmm. And good to see China coming right. back. People say, oh, you need more competition. I said, look, 
If there's no competition, there's no market. The more the merrier, you know, it keeps us sharp. People come back to Chinatown, go to Grand Avenue, maybe they come over here. There's Mr. Jews on the other end of Chinatown. And so I, I think if people want to invest here in Chinatown, it's a living community. You know, right. I think there's like 14,000 people that live here and they shop here. This is their neighborhood. I mean, it's not a tourist attraction per se, but a lot of the shop owners really depend on the tourist trade because, you know, it is the biggest, oldest Chinatown outside yeah. of uh, China. So I feel bad for some of those people because they're mom and pa shops. Most of them do business by cash because that's just, just the way they do it. And if you do business by cash, you're probably not going to qualify for the government loans, right? Because, you know, old, old school ways. Right. And, and so thank God a lot of them are really frugal and smart, and so they probably own the buildings they're in. But you see a lot of, still a lot of boarded up businesses. Yeah. And there was a study done maybe six months ago. Chinatown is, needs help. Betty Louie, who owns some property here in Chinatown, she's the landlord for Mr. Jews. She's always out there helping, trying to revitalize Chinatown. She leads the charge and the festivals on Grand Avenue. She's working with Martin Yan to try and do a TV series, talk about Chinatown. So there are good people that, are investing and wanting to, to displace, which is important. I mean, this Chinatown, this is how we came to this country, you know. This is what makes America great. I mean, this is not fake. This is a real community. No, yeah, it's right? a very real community. Yeah. George, your institution, in addition to Mr. Jews and, like you said, the revival of Empress of China, which were also iconic locations, is probably what's going to help revitalize Chinatown because it becomes a destination in which mom and pa shops can also benefit with the traffic right, right, right during the pandemic i was driving by and i noticed that you were handing out meals was that something you were doing so the city came up with through ccdc the organization they're very much helping Chinatown all the time it's one of the big supporters Reverend fong was the director before and a good friend they came up with this feed and fuel program to help Chinatown restaurants because a lot of them are a lot cheaper than us. Um, we're not super expensive, but you know, we're a little bit different than what they do. So there's a $10 meal kit that multiple restaurants could offer. So they would pay $3,000 a week for like 300 meals, wow. right? And this was free to anybody who lived in the SRO and qualified. And that was where to feed the people that probably aren't working or, right. you know, seniors. lots of seniors. And so, I said, okay, we don't have anything really. Can we do a ten dollar thing that's every bit as good as what we do? And so we did. We we came up with the menu, and you know, make a lot of money from it. But th that's not the point, right? So even though it's ten dollars for everybody, it doesn't mean oh, it's not a lot. You get fifteen. No, you get ten. So we provide meals, and we get people c coming over here, and I talk to them, and I. Can you hurry up with my food? I said, you know, we cook everything fresh. I don't just scoop it out of a steam table. You know, I said, don't worry, but don't worry. It's going to be good. I promise you, you know. So uh, I see a lot of seniors. A lot of people worried that we were going to gentrify China. Mm. I actually do a lot of business with the vendors. The market across the street is like our extended walk-in because... That's great. When I open here, you know, we want to do sustainable and organic. And so I call my special produce people. I say, I need this vegetable. They're like, what's that? I mean, well, that's the Asian choy, you know? I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a week later, they bring it to me, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> well, it's, not very, it's not very good. It's old, you know? And it costs 
one I expect. So I, I just saw some chrysanthemum greens or whatever, tarot leaves, just on the corner here or across the street. So I said, I'll go buy that. And now I don't have to pick through it, right? So you could use all of it. And then I look at the box and I'm like, okay, these are all like good names on the box, you know, some cooperative in Central Valley or whatever. And so I call them up and I'm like, who are you? You know, like, you know, I said, hey, I'm, I'm a grocer in Chinatown. I want to carry stuff because they don't want to deal with restaurants. And so a lot of them were actually, they're not using chemicals or bad stuff, and not all of them are organic. Some of them are, actually. And so once we vet them, I tell my guy across the street, and he has people shopping there every day. You know, it's like you fight the old ladies for the best turnip. Like, you know, she she's like squeezing this one, and you squeeze it, and she grabs that one. But it's fun. You know, it's, they all look at me. They kind of know who I am. You know, like, they call me mean damn love by meaning. The Chinese character, the Ming Dian is the famous merchant, the Chinese character, not Chan Live. And Ming Dian, I mean, owner of the Chinese name for this place. And they're like, this is really good right now. You know, you should get that for, you know, because they know it. I buy it, and it's hyper-seasonal, because those ladies know better than most of the chefs around here. Yes. They're like, they know when that this week is when that <laughs> thing is best. Yeah. So, you know, I put that on the menu. I, change, I used to change the menu here daily. Wow. I, I don't do that anymore. And then I was weekly, and then now it's like whenever. Uh, I just put a couple of dishes on the menu last week. But that's the fun part. You know, you're, you're interacting with the community. Things are fresh. You know, there's a tofu guy on Washington. Yeah. has organic tofu. Mo there's cured meats. You know, they're so good. They've been here since yeah. 1856. I One think. of the oldest. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Mr. Lee, it's just hilarious. Cash only. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. You know who you are. We're good for it. Lots of places, you know, the Chichon City, on Stockton. So everybody knows us. And when they come here to eat, yeah. some of them do. They're like, oh, yeah, you do real Chinese food. Like, what did you think I was going to do? Like, <laughs> I don't want to say white people Chinese food. You know, I'm like, it's real Chinese food. Like, hello. Right? And, That's and, hilarious. Yeah, even the feed and fuel. People come back, you know, hey, that mapa tofu is real good, authentic. I got to discover Chinatown a lot more since owning this business here. I want to see it come back. I want everybody to be healthy, of course, and no more of this API hate. You know, a lot of the jury stores down the other side of Grand Avenue all got hit. Yep. And we've been lucky. I mean, we've had security cameras, and we actually have a manager that's sort of a head of security. And we've only had a couple of minor instances where somebody would take food to go and some person will slander them and like, give me some food. So I'm sorry, this is not for you, it's from you know, somebody else. And again, hopefully, this also shall pass. And people, I think all, all ones take time to heal, right? So I think as a people, we, we are all hurt by the pandemic. It's easy to place blame on some group racially or not, sure. right? But don't do that. I mean, that's not who we are. That's what makes America great. Somebody's got to speak up. Yeah. We're even on National Fox Business, and we'll talk about herd immunity. So I had friends in the East Coast, and they're, you know, one of the conservative sides. Let's just call it that. And say, oh, yeah, I saw your fox. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great. <laughs> First time for everything. Uh, and not knocking fox. A wonderful journalist. Most of them. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, it's a pleasure to kind of feel like we're back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not out of the woods. Yeah. 
No, uh, not by any means, but it's nice. And what's great is that passing by, I didn't see you boarded up. I saw you there. Even though it might be closed, I still saw you there. And I was like, okay, China Life's still here. So that's kind of good. Yeah. During some of those periods where there was a lot of vandalism. You know, if you go down the Union Square or Market Street, I mean, it looks like war zone. It does. My wife wanted me to board it up, and I said, you know what, that just doesn't give the right impression. Let's just keep an eye on things. So we did paper up, but I wanted to give people this idea that we're not going away. Because when you see a boarded up place, you're like, oh, there's another one. You know, another one bites the dust, you know, mm-hmm. that's in the song. But, I mean, I just don't want to do that. So as soon as we, we felt safe enough, we took the paper off and opened it up, and the police stations around on the corner, so I felt a little bit better about that. But, you know, generally, we've been relatively lucky. I mean, I, I don't know if I would have brought it up if I was on Union Square or Market Street. I probably would have, but I don't want to do that here. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you didn't. Yeah. We are running We're low on time, time, but yeah. I have one last question. Please. So, George, you've been elevating and taking Chinese cuisine to the next level. Right. And also, there's a trend of younger chefs who are classically trained and then going back to their roots and paying homage to their heritage, you know, kind of like Brandon Jew and so on. What do you think the future of Chinatown could be like, or what would you like to see well, I, in terms of like how the restaurants are going to be? And Yeah, so this is a big operation. The Eight Tables is like the mayor's been there a few times. We've done charities for Chinese Hospital, raised a bunch of money. We provide them on the wines. I even donate some of my wine from our own cellar. Yeah. And that elevates cuisine. And people say, okay, changing perceptions through some education, right? And, and telling people what, what our food is like. I think people through food get to know another culture much faster. Like, I don't know anything about Ethiopia, but I was at Berkeley, went to a restaurant called Blue Nile, and they had the spongy bread. I know a little bit about Ethiopia now. And, oh, you research it, and I've actually been there. So I think if we could get people to open up again, their hearts yeah. and their wallets, to come and try the food in Chinatown, and allow young chefs to New York and the Lower East Side, East Broadway area. There's just a ton of those guys of all Chinese regions are doing some interesting things. And I think we could have that here too. Hopefully if the mom pa restaurant guy is tired and sometimes the children don't want to take over the same business because it's hard work, right? Maybe a new person who has an idea of some food reaching back to tradition and putting a new twist on it. I think... That'll bring excitement to Chinatown and bring people back. It's still an incredibly vibrant place, so I don't want to like say, oh yeah, don't come to Chinatown because it's all boarded up, but it takes time. Without people visiting it, it's going to take longer, and, and that's what we don't want. Exactly. That's great. George, thank you for your time. Yes, thank you so much for your no, time. No, my pleasure. pleasure. No, really appreciate uh, you having me on and being my two cents of... <laughs> our existence here no (laughs) it's wonderful it's been fantastic thank you thank you so much my pleasure my pleasure George Chen and his wife Cindy has put so much into China Live eight tables and if you haven't been there cold drinks I would say their artistic expression manifested inside of this entire building And as we sat there in the lounge of cold drinks, I could really appreciate his passion for his work, his creativity, and most importantly, 
his love and care for his staff and the people that he takes care of. He is the epitome of someone who really embraces what it is to be in the hospitality industry. I am blown back by all of the work that him and his team have done to keep China Live not only going, but also to keep Chinatown going. Great conversation. It really was. And to talk on that same aspect of his realness, I mean, George is an executive chef. He's kind of a big deal, but he's also incredibly humble. And one little piece that we didn't discover in the interview is actually after the interview took place, we went down the back way because there's always a back way to a rad spot like cold drinks. And there were bats that were painted all through the stairwell. And so it turns out George has this Batman obsession. <laughs> and so they have, he has like this whole Batman thing, which I thought was adorable. I mean, he's just a cool guy. He's really down to earth. And I think that shows through in his staff and the beauty yet approachability of his restaurants and just him as a person and Cindy as well. That really resonated the most for me. Having been my first time there, it's not going to be my last, right, everybody? Oh, we're going. Oh, we're so going. Oh, we're definitely going. <laughs> I loved that George and Cindy go to the marketplace right across the street and buy their organic, fresh ingredients that they use right from the local vendors. And they have to get there early to beat out the other ladies who are buying the same thing. <laughs> I just love that. I love that story. I was like, oh my God, that's so great. And I love that he is mindful of where he comes from, the impact that he's making, the impact on the community, the fact that he does food for seniors and food for people who don't have anything to eat. I mean, everything he does is really, really mindful of people who are starting off humbly. It's just, he's maintained and kept his feet on the ground and that's very impressive. So that concludes our Exploring the Waterfront series, which really has been nothing short of informative and inspirational. So Jay and Michaela, Tell us all about what's coming next. Oh, I'm so excited. <gasps> you guys, we're finally here. We're exploring the history of music in San Francisco Bay Area, which for me is everything. That's why I live here. I mean, I talked about why I live here is the waterfront, but really it's music for me. It's music. I totally get it. I, you know, little secret. I used to DJ and music has been everything for me as well but specifically part of my self-expression. Like, I love funk, soul, hip-hop, and I can't wait to share with you the people that we got to meet meet in this next series. And San Francisco literally has been the birthplace for so many important musicians, so many important bands, so much music comes from San Francisco. So this is going to be a really great series, and we expanded the series because it's something that we can't have enough guests. I mean, we can do it forever and ever and ever. So we definitely expanded the series and we cannot wait to share who we have coming with all of you. But we don't want to give any of that away because we have some very spectacular guests. So maybe you'll find out more if you follow us on Instagram or on Facebook or Susan, what else do we have to do? 
subscribe so we can keep bringing you all of these amazing and wonderful guests. And you can download our podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. That's right. And that concludes this week's episode. So thank you so much again for listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. We'll see you next week. Bye now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Beyond the Fog Radio, all rights reserved, 2021.